Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the plague. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is the next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. All right, what's going on? Welcome to Canel and Bell, a separate edition. I am in New York City. It's always a little bit dicey with the Skype connection. We've tried this before, uh, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. Fingers are crossed again. I hope we get to the whole show because we have an awesome show lined up for you. Our boy Emery Hunt's going to join us in just about 10 minutes, help us get the picks for the weekend. NBA action. We get to actually talk about something that happens on the court. We will address the China situation just a little bit as there has been some developments there. But my guy Zion went off. What does it mean? And we'll finish off the show with some fun stuff as always. But Raza, you were out yesterday and you missed me. So I went off on Richard Sherman. I said, this guy is just looking for attention. He threw a young quarterback under the bus when it was basically proven that Richard Sherman lied about this handshake, uh, handshake diss. And so you know what Richard Sherman did? Apparently, he's a huge fan of Canel and Bell because I said he owed Baker Mayfield an apology. Guess what he did? <laughs> he apologized. He actually apologized. And then you had Baker Mayfield responded to both Richard Sherman and Nick Bosa. Have a listen to Baker Mayfield. I know what I did, uh, but that's, you know, the one time the camera and something recording me has, you know, gone in my favor. Uh, I respect him, who he is as a player. Uh, he's a great player, has been for a while. Uh, in no way did I mean it like that. You know, I'm not worried about it. I know how I handled it, what I, exactly what I did. Um, it is what it is. You guys, I mean, people want to portray an image with me of who I am as a person. Care less. Well, I don't. I think Sherman's was a personal vendetta. Uh, I mean, he, he said what he said, uh, but Bosa's, you know, good for him. He had it premeditated. He's been thinking about that, obviously, for two years now. So that's a long time to think about that loss. <laughs> All right. So here's the deal with Baker Mayfield, Raj. I don't think he's very likable. And you can have this attitude of I'm going to do and say whatever I want. And what's interesting is I felt like an old man saying that. Like, you know, he needs to tighten it up and kind of be a little bit more humble, and I feel like it's old school versus new school. But I think the reality of the situation, what you're seeing across the league, is that other players are looking at Baker Mayfield saying, hold on a second, Rook. Like, he still was just a rookie last year. They're saying, before you go out and start talking all this trash and sign all these endorsements, you better do something first. And I think he's not the most well-liked player across the league because of some of his cockiness, which he's shown early in his career. Um, I, you're, you're, you're 100% right. Uh, watching that press conference, um, that's about as, like, muted as he gets, kind of. You know, like, he wasn't really abrasive with the media and in your face. And even still in those uh, clips, he came off, like, cocky and dismissive. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, like, when you're trying – to be kind of humble and it doesn't come across as humble and you still come across a little like arrogant. I think that speaks to what you're talking about, right? Like guys probably look at him and just don't love the packaging. And then we've talked about this before. Now you don't have to be necessarily 
um, you know, jealous of one thing or the other, but there is some jealousy amongst players in terms of who the league dubs as their golden boy, right? Like who they choose to ride, um, commercialize and who they, who they choose to, uh, put as the face of the league going forward. And so, you know, you'd be naive to think that there are guys out there that don't feel some kind of way about Baker being dubbed the golden child and getting all these endorsements and stuff off of half a year of football. So apparently this is sort of a narrative that's developing around the league. According to Mike Freeman from Bleacher Report, um, he's spoken to a couple players anonymously, and he said that for a while now, veterans have been frustrated with Baker's cockiness for someone who hasn't won anything. Here's the thing, though. I don't think it's just because of his cockiness. There is a jealousy factor. Like Professional athletes have monster egos. And look, Tim Tebow was the nicest guy in the world, right? I mean, he's, you know, the model citizen, never said anything, didn't talk any trash. And yet, I don't think he was well-liked across the league because players looked at him and said, man, he gets all over SportsCenter. He gets a lot of advertising money. He makes a lot of money off the field. He hasn't played that great. And I think it made him unlikable to a lot of players in the league because they were jealous. Like, and I think that has something to do with it, a baker. But then because... Tim Tebow wasn't, you know, there was guys that were jealous, and it was a little bit harder to dislike Tim Tebow. But if you give them any ounce of a reason not to like you, which I think Baker Mayfield has given you more than ample reasons to not like him, they're going. The human nature is going to come out, and they're going to be like, hey, "Wait a second, this guy hasn't done anything." When it is really the ultimate job where you have to earn it, like you can't just go. Like, nothing is given to you in the NFL. And I think that's what players look at. They say, hold on a second. He's, he's not, we're not going to just give him this title of, Hey, this hot, young, new quarterback. He's got to actually do it for another year. And now that his play is suffering, I think players are kind of reveling in that. And Richard Sherman and Nick Bosa are just kind of the latest ones to do it. Yeah. I listen, we talked about this before the season started. There were going to be a lot of guys lining up, uh, to get a shot at Baker Mayfield, whether that was, uh, you know, an actual shot or, you know, just metaphorically speaking, they, they want to have an opportunity um, to make their statement when they play against him this year. And some of that is on Baker. And and to your point and, and the one I made before, some of it is, is jealousy. You know, guys have fought and scrapped and clawed for an entire career to get to a point where you may have an opportunity to be the face of a league going forward. And you feel uh, in some instances that you've earned that. I know when I was a player, Danny, um, there were, I had I was jealous of, of players. Not not superstars because I never I never considered myself a star or a superstar. I was I was a journeyman player, but there were guys and I'd look at my numbers versus their numbers and what I had accomplished versus you know what they had accomplished and you know they you know for whatever reason they get paid this and I get paid that. Like you can be happy and and grateful for your career and still look at someone else and think, hey man, I'm better than that, and that's just what it is, man. And you see it playing out again with Baker, and it doesn't help that his team has uh, come out. And not perform. And he hasn't been great himself. And that just adds fuel to the fire. It absolutely does. If it comes out there. So I think the thing that's more glaring about this piece that Mike Freeman wrote. Because to me it was no surprise that guys are jealous of him. And they're going to take their shots. And they don't like him being cocky. There was a, uh, a quote from a scout that said one of Baker Mayfield's biggest issues is that in college he was one of the more athletic players in the field, and now he's not, which has made him primarily a pocket passer, which isn't his strength. I would push back on that scout because I don't think anybody thought Baker Mayfield was going to come in and run around in the NFL and make plays. I think he actually is a really exceptional, accurate passer from the pocket. 
Um, he's just got to get better protection, right? I mean, he's, and he's got to get guys open a little bit better. And that's some of that relies on Freddie Kitchens. But I think the most obvious problem that they have right now is his offensive line. And some of these highlights you're showing, look at him. He always is trying to escape out to the outside of the pocket when he does instead of stepping up. I think Baker Mayfield really needs to learn how to step up in the pocket, which is hard when there's a guard or center getting pushed into your lap. But I think that's more the problem. I, to me, I was never thinking that he would come in and be, be this guy that was going to run around like you're seeing Lamar Jackson. See, Lamar Jackson, I think his speed translated from college to the NFL. Baker's doesn't. But I don't think that means he's going to be a bust or he can't be good. He just has to get better protection up front. Yeah. Um, first of all, Baker Mayfield wasn't the most athletic player on any college football field either. Let's let's be uh, – yeah. uh, like, <laughs> like that's a ridiculous uh, statement. Um Secondly, uh, only because, you know, I'm dealing with the son right now, and I, I hate to draw like a comparison, but he, you know, obviously, you know, he plays quarterback and he does not have a great offensive line. And so, um, I, I can now identify when a quarterback gets spooked, right? Like, so my son is used to dropping back, hitting his back foot, looking for a split second and knowing that somebody's coming after him. So he's got to figure out, you know, how to ad lib now, right? But that's not every single time. That's like, 85% of the time, right? And so where I see a similarity with Baker is like he's just accustomed to that thing breaking down on him. So 85% of the time, he's got to ad-lib. But there's still 15% of the time, Danny, and I tell my son this, where it is your job to stand in there if you have that extra second and deliver a ball. That could be stepping up in the pocket or it can just be delivering from whatever platform you're on right now. But just because 85% of the time it breaks down doesn't mean that other 15% of the time you should be looking to move. And, and I get that you're spooked, but, but you still have a job to do. And I, I really do feel like Baker is spooked a little bit in the pocket. It's not that he can't deliver. I don't think it's that he wants to run. He's just spooked. He's used to it collapsing and he doesn't have the patience to sit there and wait for the 15% of the time where it's not collapsing on him. It's the hardest thing in the world to develop as a quarterback that trust that the protection is going to be there when it's not most of the time. And I can totally understand it because a lot of it's, hey, you don't want to get pounded every time. And you get tired of, you. hey, occasionally you'll say like, all right, I'm going to step my foot. I'm going to set it in the back and I'm gonna put it in the ground. I'm going to make this throw no matter what. And then you get drilled. So you start escaping the pocket. But then a lot of times it's still there and you start hearing ghosts or you start that that internal clock that every quarterback has in his head starts speeding up and that's where just the rhythm and timing for Baker Mayfield are off right now that clock in his head is moving way too fast but it's not all on him and it really is it's every level um if you don't have it in your son's team if you don't have it in the NFL it's the same problem and it's really just it's hard to get over it's hard to overcome that I think that's a very real situation that Baker Mayfield is dealing with let, let me ask you a question just because um you know, when you have that problem, like how much of an, uh, of an importance does the coaching play in, you know, designing a passing game that doesn't – I watch the Browns. And, again, I'm, I'm not a football coach. But I watch Baker sitting back there waiting. Like he's got to leave the pocket. His receivers aren't even out of their breaks yet. I'm like the routes take so long to develop. You know you got a bad offensive line. Most of the time there's not even a back in the backfield with them to kind of pick up something. Like how much of it falls on the coach's shoulders – to, to, to have a passing game that, that identifies your weaknesses and, and kind of highlights some of the playmakers you have. Just get them the ball. A lot. And that's where I think Freddie Kitchens is getting exposed a little bit, his inability to make those adjustments to help Baker Mayfield. You can slide protections toward a team's best pass rusher. 
you can keep a tight end in and help him chip and help that tackle that he's next to. The running backs, before they go out in their routes, they can chip. So basically, they'll get an elbow. And as that defensive end is coming up the field, as the running back is going out on his route, he'll give him a little shove just to throw him off, just a split second. We're talking about split seconds here. But if you don't make those slight adjustments, it's going to get worse and worse. And that's why I'm surprised it's taken this long for Freddie Kitchens to notice that. And I don't think it's going to get any easier anytime soon. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on this team, and they'll have to make those adjustments or else it's going to be a really, really long year for the Browns. Um, the Patriots are having a fantastic year. They're one of only two undefeated. I don't think we see that change when they play the Giants tonight on Thursday Night Football. The Giants are... They had some enthusiasm when they had Daniel Jones start, but they have the injury bug in a massive way as Saquon Barkley still is not playing. Now Wayne Gallman, his backup's not playing. Evan Ingram is uh, ruled out as well. This is the largest point spread in New York Giants history. They are a 17-point underdog going up to Foxborough. But you know what? I think the Patriots probably cover. You know, like I just I don't see a scenario where the New York Giants can mount any sort of, you know, meaningful attack where it scares the Patriots. I think the Patriots will typically be okay and they'll control this game. And, you know, the bad news is I think it's probably going to be a boring Thursday night game that the Patriots win comfortably. And I think they go on there. Maybe Daniel Jones can run around a little bit. He is more mobile, but ultimately I don't think it's going to, uh, it's going to be a very close game. This episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday. Get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. Welcome back to Canel and Bell on this Thursday. As we do every single Thursday, we're bringing our guy Emery Hunt. Emery, right off the bat, have you recovered yet? Louisiana. I haven't. I was so upset last night, man. I almost broke every television in my house. All right. That was a rough one. A rough loss to your Raging Cajuns against App State. I don't mean to batter you while you're down. I just had to get it there because you're always repping the colors and the gear. But I know that was wrong. There's no doubt they will bounce back. All right. Let's start off with Thursday night's game. Tonight's game, Giants on the road at the Patriots. I don't know if the Giants put much of a fight up. They're decimated with injuries. Patriots favored by 17. Who are you like in this one? I love the Patriots in this one. Later points with New England. It's tough to even make a case for the Giants without Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, Wayne Goldman, and also Saquon Barker. This will be ugly like bowling shoes tonight. <laughs> Boys are ugly like bowling shoes. All right. You got the Cowboys, Dak Prescott and company at the Jets. Obviously, the Cowboys have struggled lately. The Jets are getting Sam Darnold back. Cowboys laying seven. Yeah, I'm laying the points with the Cowboys in this ball game. Even though they get Sam Darnold back, this Jets offense still will be out of sync. It'll look like week one when they played the Buffalo Bills. You have a guy come back off a long delay. It's tough to pick up that timing right away. I think the Cowboys roll in this one. 
All right, we got a battle of two teams that have been really disappointing this year for different reasons. The Steelers have been decimated with injuries, losing Ben Roethlisberger. Who knows what's going to happen with Mason Rudolph moving forward. I don't even know who's playing quarterback. They got some dude out there. I never even heard of him, and I watch a lot of college football. Uh, they're going on the road to play the Chargers in L.A. as a seven-point dog. Which way are you leaving in this one? See, I know a lot about that quarterback that's starting for Pittsburgh, Devlin Hodges, who played at Sanford. I did the broadcast down in, at the Tropical Bowl last January, and he was a quarterback. He, he did a great job all week long, did well in the game, and has won the Walter Payton Award, which is the FCS equivalent to the Heisman Trophy, after breaking Steve McNair's all-time FCS passing record. And when he got in that ball game last week against Baltimore, yes, it's the Baltimore Ravens defense, but he showed confidence. He showed a willingness to throw the football deep down the field, and he took off a little bit with his legs to pick up a key first down to help put them in position to go into overtime. So I think this game will be a lot closer than people believe, so take the Steelers in the points. Okay. All right, let's move over to uh, college football. We have Georgia Tech um, at Duke, plus 17.5 Georgia Tech. Everyone is looking at this number and thinking of Duke versus Virginia Tech, but not realizing Virginia Tech's defense is non-existent right now, which is tough to say. So I do believe Georgia Tech will keep this one close because at the end of the day, they'll figure things out offensively. But defensively, I think they've been sound. So take Georgia Tech in the points against Duke. All right. Florida State is going on the road to Clemson. Just three or four years ago, this was one of the most uh, anticipated games in all of college football, Florida State has obviously fallen on some tough times. Clemson has elevated as one of the best teams in the country. But Clemson has not been clicking on all cylinders yet. They're coming off a bye week. Florida State's starting James Blackman, but they said Alex Hornerbrook is going to play as well. Clemson is close to a four-touchdown favorite. Minus 27 is the number. Which side do you lean in here? Here's the thing. If Florida State just realizes that they can win this game or keep this game extremely close with Cam Akers and that running game against his defense, this will be a lot closer than what people think. But I, I do believe they'll try to make this thing a James Blackman, Alex Honeybrook versus Trevor Lawrence type game, which doesn't favor them. So I would say this will be a slow blowout. So later points with, with Clemson. All right, uh, last game on the docket. We got UConn at Tulane. Tulane uh, minus 34 at home. You can put UConn, you can put UMass, you can put Rutgers in the box, shake them up, and pull out the same team. Tulane right now with their win over Army last week, I think it's playing for one of those New Year's Six Bowls, so they're going to lay it on thick against the Huskies, so lay all those points with Tulane and those glorious uniforms. Yes, they are. They got those sweet uh, matte blue that look pretty tight. All right, Emery, good stuff, man. Appreciate it as always. Good luck in the game. Thanks, guys. Got a little right, distracted Emory. there, bro. Got a little distracted. It's my bad. Yeah, you did. What was going on there? What are you <laughs> What's going on here? Keep your eyes focused. All right. So, Raj, your Miami Hurricanes yeah. are against the University of Virginia Cavaliers. The Cavaliers are ranked 20th in the country. They're a really good football team. Miami has been underwhelming this season. I think even you would admit that, right? I would. I have a buddy of mine who texted me on Monday and said, why is Miami favored in this game? And it started as a one-point favorite. It has actually been, been bet up to where Miami is a two-point favorite. I cannot figure out this line for the life of me. There's something that tells me, like, this is one of those ones that terrorizes. Because, like, Vegas knows something. I don't know what it is. But I don't like this game at all. If I have to pick, I would go with Virginia because I think they've been the better football team this year. 
But this is a scary line for me. Are you taking your Canes at home as a two-point favorite? Danny, how could I take the Hurricanes at home? Like, I'll cheer for the Hurricanes. But if I have to bet, I'm certainly not betting the Hurricanes after what I've seen, not just last weekend against Virginia Tech, but prior to that, um, you know, it's been lackluster all year. Now, maybe, just maybe, they're thinking Nikosi Perry, who's been named the starter, um, has a higher ceiling with that offense than Jaron Williams did. Like, Jaron Williams was good, but really conservative. Like, Nikosi, make big plays. He'll also turn it over. Um, so maybe that's where the number came from. I can't bet them, though, Danny. I, I'm a hurricane. Like, I always cheer for them. I'll be at the game with my whole family, but I, I don't know how I can bet them. Yeah, I, I guess I was really literally, I was seriously trying to figure out how you would go with Miami as a favorite. And maybe it is. When Nikosi Perry came in, they scored four touchdowns, albeit one of them was a Hail Mary. But still, they got the offense clicking, had them all the way back in a position where they tied up the game, maybe, you know, almost pulled off the miraculous comeback. Maybe that's what people are looking at, but we'll have to see. And maybe you look at Miami and say, hey, they're not that far off from being undefeated even. If you look back at the Florida game, it was only a three-point loss. The Carolina game, they blew a lead. I'm trying. I'm literally trying to talk myself into Miami. Maybe they're better than we think they are, but it's hard to sell. Florida State, I'm not delusional. I do think this is a really big number. There's the assumption that Clemson is going to have their bye week and they're going to come back and figure everything out. I don't know if it's going to be necessarily the case. I think Clemson wins, but I'm going to take Florida State and just pray a little bit that they put up a good fight for three or maybe four quarters and that Clemson wins by closer to two touchdowns, which I think would be a massive win for Florida State if they can just keep this game competitive, which I think they do. I think Florida State finds out a way to keep this a little bit more competitive than people think. 27 points is a massive number with as much talent as Florida State has on the field. That's a massive number for against a good team, which you guys are not, sir. No, I mean, look, I feel you. I feel you wanting to bet that. I just here's where I think about Clemson ha- having played well, um, starting to get some, a little bit of disrespect, right? It's just a little bit of people starting to chirp. I do think they're going to come out and try to make a statement. Um, and I do think that uh, Emory was right. Like I don't, I don't see them sticking with Cam Akers in the run game. I think they try to open it up a little bit. And try to, you know, think they can win the game instead of going after the moral victory, which I applaud. Um, and for that reason, I think the number is going to be pretty big. So I think uh, uh, Clemson will cover. All right. And let's move on to the Red River shootout in Dallas, Texas. Great rivalry game. It's going to be at noon. I love waking up. We've actually been really spoiled. There have been some really good games at noon, which I love. I hate having to wait until the last minute, you know, wait till the 8 o'clock primetime game. But you got Oklahoma is a 10.5-point favorite against Texas. This game, to me, I think this is another number in a rivalry game that is simply too big. I'm going to take Texas. I think Texas is able to slow this down somewhat. I think they're going to try to run the football. We've heard about Oklahoma's defense. They've looked better, but they have not played anyone with an offensive pulse this year. I think Jalen Hurts, they'll be fine on the offensive side of the ball. Texas' secondary is ranked 105th in the country. I think they'll put up big numbers, but I think Texas will too. They call it the Red River Shootout for a reason. I think this will be a high-scoring game that is closer than the 10.5-point spread. So I take, I say Texas covers in this game. Uh, I'm not mad at you for that. I'll, 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 uh, I'll ride with you on that. I think Texas, I think it's a touchdown game. 10.5 may be too much, especially in a rivalry game. The one thing, even though Texas' secondary is really bad, they're also banged up, Danny, right? Like they're missing a couple players in that secondary. Um, so they're going to have to score because Oklahoma will score. But ultimately, I think it's a little closer than 10.5. All 
All right, Penn, or excuse me, Alabama, number one team in the country. Talk about like we're talking about a lot of teams in college football. And it's like who have you played yet? And then there's I would say Oklahoma's in that category. Ohio State was in that category, but you really can't say it after they played Michigan State. I would put Bama in that category of who have you really played? Now they get a chance. They go to College Station against Texas A&M, who has two losses, but still College Station is a rough place to play. I think it's going to be a physical game. Alabama is a 17-point favorite. I'm going to roll with the tide. I'm going to lay the 17 and say that Tua and company still put on a show. I don't think Texas A&M is going to have enough firepower to get there. And I think Texas A&M is going to fall to 500 after this game, and Alabama is going to win convincingly. Yeah, we agree again, which is scary. But um, I, I think Alabama, to, to the point you just made about not really having a statement win, they get number 24 A&M. Um, I think they're going to come out guns blazing, and I, I think they're going to just destroy the number. So I'll take Alabama in the points. I did not see that number. Uh, Texas A&M, 1-5 against the spread in their past six SEC games. Uh, real quickly, I'll give a, a bonus upset pick for the weekend. Iowa is going to knock off Penn State. We won't preview that game much. I'm just telling you, Iowa's going to beat them there at right. home. The game of the weekend, really, and this is another massive number for me. Some of these numbers, I think, are really tricky. LSU playing in Baton Rouge, Joe Burrow and that offense has been awesome. Playing their first defense that's really going to test them. The Florida Gators go to town. This number is way too big. This game historically has been closed down to the wire. I am taking Florida as the 13-point dog. Whose side are you on? Uh, I gotta, I'm riding with you again, Danny. Um, I don't know who wins this game, but I think it's going to be a, a come-down-to-the-end field goal type of situation. Um, so I will take Florida in those points. I just hope it really lives up to the hype, though, because I'm excited about this one. Me too. I hope it's. I think it's going to be a great game, great atmosphere for sure. In prime time, uh, that crowd is going to be ruckus for sure. Welcome back to Canel and Bell. The NBA has been the source of a global uh, controversy here with the what's unfolding with China and the NBA. As Daryl Morey's seven-word tweet. I remind you, seven words he tweeted out have caused uh, caused one of the biggest messes that Adam Silver has had to deal with in his tenure as the uh, as the commissioner of the NBA. I felt like this is a no-win situation for Adam Silver. I think he's doing his best. He's getting kicked while he's down um, from people that have criticized the NBA, saying you need to take a stronger stance against China. China, on the other hand, is kind of taking control of this, saying, hold on a second. We don't think you just saying, hey, Daryl Moy has free speech in the U.S. That's not enough. They have been upset about it. And there was a lot of concern. Would the game take place between the Lakers and Nets this morning, which is actually 7.30 p.m. over there. It was 7.30 a.m. here. Ultimately, the game did tip off. But the NBA spokesman informed reporters there would be no media availability of any kind for any player or Commissioner Silver's previously scheduled pregame press conference, which was canceled. Chinese flags were distributed outside. Before the starting lineups were announced, there was no singing of either national anthem, nor, not the Star Spangled Banner, or the Chinese March of the Volunteers. I don't know. Raj, I think the best thing that the NBA can see happen is to get the heck out of Dodge, get back over here, get the regular season started, and hope that time makes this thing go away because it's not going away anytime soon. And the longer they're there and having to deal with situations like this, it just gets uglier and uglier. So I think it's going to take, there's going to be a lot of dollars that are lost. And the only thing that's going to heal this is time. Uh, yeah, you're in a no win situation. I have no problem with the way it played out. Um, 
you, you don't need any more remarks while you're over there in China and while you've got, you know, NBA franchises um, and support staffs over there in China, right? Like, you don't want anything to potentially go wrong. So I have no problem with them shutting down the press availability and stuff like that. You get plenty of press. Like, they'll be home in two days. You can get all the press sound bites you want, right? Let, let them get out of China. Let them play the game. Um, and then, you know, Danny, look, you're right. At this point, the, the damage uh, is pretty much done. Um, all you can do now, stop talking about it. Hope that cooler heads kind of prevail. And you guys are able to kind of salvage a relationship. Um, I will say again, and I'm going to double down on this, and I know we're not a political show. For everyone that has like this major beef with, with NBA players um, not standing up to China, um, and their beef would be because these guys have a voice um, nationally here in the U.S. when it comes to social matters, I would again say to you that those issues that they champion for here in the United States are their issues. They are our issues. They are our country's issues. They are things that they feel on a day-to-day basis. And so they will stand up and say that. They have the right to do that um, in this country. Those are things that affect them. They're things that affect their family members. Um, while the Chinese government, I don't, I, I don't, I, I'm not getting into um, whether or not it's their job to, to, to say that they support it or not. It's not their country, though. Like, do you know what I mean, Danny? And that's what I would say. That would be the only difference. Now, the NBA and all the politics and the billions of dollars that come with China, I'm not in the NBA anymore. I have no vested interest in that. I would just say, though, that it's a difference between like highlighting the social issues in your country that affect you and your family members and going out there and, and, and dealing um, in politics that you know nothing really about. I do. I, I hear what you're saying. Here's the only pushback I would give you is that the NBA has really positioned itself as this politically active, outspoken league. Like, hey, we don't care about the money. We're going to go out there. and We're going to be more than an athlete. We're going to be activists. We're mm-hmm. going to be out there in the community, which is all good things. But it does take away from their overall perception when they all of a sudden, when there's billions of dollars at stake, all of a sudden they get quiet. Even though it's international, there are some pretty egregious you know, human rights violations that take place. Where you would say, hey, wouldn't it just be basic human decency? You would say, maybe that's not a good idea. And they have really tiptoed around it. Like, they have not said anything. You know, Steph Curry was on the record yesterday saying, hey, I don't know about Chinese history. And he's right. I mean, I don't either. Neither do you. But they have really kind of, you know, tiptoed around this. And for them to get shut up by China before this game, I just think it takes a little bit away from their legacy of this group of players. And even the players themselves have criticized Michael Jordan and players before them for saying, hey, they put money above doing the right thing. And they wouldn't go out there and say anything politically because they wanted the money when really this is probably what this is all about. It is protecting billions of dollars, which I don't blame them. I would if I was an NBA player and I had James Harden has a two hundred million dollar contract with Adidas. There are major implications if Adidas, you know, all of a sudden can't be sold in China. So I get it. But then don't portray yourself as these people who are fearless and then go say whatever you want. And it's not about the money when it's just like every other league that it is a lot about the dollar it, line. Does that make sense? Like, is that a fair pushback? No, it is. Um, I, 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 but what I would say to that is just because um, I have a voice when it comes to things that affect me in this country um, doesn't mean that I have to be a fearless advocate for every person around the world. Like if I choose to use my platform to stand up for equal rights in America, that does not mean that I am obligated to stand up and have a voice uh, against communism or socialism or fascism or anything like that. They, one doesn't make me have to do the other. So 
Like that would be my only pushback. Like, uh, you know, like you're making it sound like just because someone stands up against police brutality in this country, they're obligated to then stand up against everybody who oppresses anyone in the world. And I disagree with that. Agreed. I, I, I think we're just kind of semantics. It's just one thing. Cause I mean, I have no problem with players speaking out against police brutality and, you know, taking voices and using their voices here. Um, I guess I would just say to them, be careful criticizing others who don't. Cause I think that's everybody's right. Some NBA players, some NFL players, some of them are a little bit quieter. They don't get as, uh, politically uh active and i think that's okay too like everybody has their right some guys do it for different reasons um there was some news in the game itself which unfolded as Kyrie, who was dealing with his facial fracture that he suffered in the offseason he goes out in the game doesn't play very much because he left the game after getting hit in the face by uh rondo my question to you is why would he be playing in the first place if he has this facial fracture like are you surprised that he was even out there um, no, because he was wearing his protective mask. I saw the, I saw it live. Like Rondo just kind of gets the ball stripped and he just kind of flips the back of his hand up and it catches Kyrie in the mask. I don't think this is a story. Like I, I just, I think Kyrie probably got hit in the face. It's, it stung for a second. You're always a little startled when you get smacked in the face. I would not imagine that this has any real impact on his facial fracture that exists. I don't know to what degree it's healed, but even if it were to kind of re-aggravate it, you're just basically playing with the mask anyway. So. Uh, so I, I think, too, it would be a case where if it was the regular season, he probably can keep playing, right? I mean, that's where I that's where I look at this was, was originally, like, why is he playing in this situation? And then he gets it bumped just a little bit. It was overly precautious, which I totally understand at this point in the season. Like, get him out of there. But if this is playoffs or something, you're crazy. He's definitely going to continue that uh, play. Do you think this is a part of a bigger problem with Kyrie, though, as he's been plagued with injuries going back to his time at Duke when he hardly played at all throughout his career in the NBA? There aren't many seasons you could point at and say, hey, he gave us a full season there. Is this a bigger problem for Kyrie? Uh, I don't know. I don't have the answer. I mean, you, his track, rec- track record um, you know, certainly has uh, a, a lot of injuries on it. Um, you, you would hope that some of those were freak. Like I dealt with um, the knee injury. I forget what year that was when the, in the Cavs' first run to the finals um, when the kneecap, he had the fracture in it. I think that was an old skateboarding accident, the doctor said that it existed like that's a freak thing you know that's not that's not something that 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 necessarily you could account for so there's some of that um but you you know if you're Brooklyn and and you've already got an injured KD which you cannot afford by by any stretch of the imagination is to pay all that money for an for an injured KD you got but Kyrie's going to be healthy and then Kyrie goes down ultimately I don't think it's a big deal I think he'll be okay but it is fair to wonder Danny because he has been injured in the past yeah, I mean, some, and I'm not calling him soft or anything. Some guys' bodies just don't handle the rigors of a professional schedule, you know, whether it's NFL or NBA. And I, I don't know. I think it's something to keep an eye on for him. Um, Zion Williamson. I am all in on the Zion hype train. I can't wa- wait to see what he does. I was teasing you before the show saying, hey, forget rookie of the year. Let's just go all in on uh, MVP. He <laughs> is the minus 240 favorite to win the rookie of the year, which I thought was pretty surprising because I totally understand you're, hey, let's see what he does this season. But, man, he looked impressive in his second preseason game. He was 12 of 13 from the field, 5 of uh, 8 from the line. He had 29 points, 3 rebounds, 4 assists, some more dunks, which, of course, we're going to see a lot of. Are you – is this just, hey, calm down, it's still the preseason? Would that be your mentality looking at this film and watching what he did? Um, yeah, I mean, look, I would – some of it's really impressive. Like that dunk on the baseline there where he caught it one dribble and kind of, you know, 180 under the rim. Like that's an impressive finish. Um 
But ultimately, yeah, I think I would be like, look, this is the preseason. I was someone who in my second year scored a lot of points in the preseason. Um, and, and I was nowhere near the player that Zion is. And then I, you know, my regular season wasn't nearly the same as, as what I was experiencing in the preseason. So there's some of that that factors in. The rookie of the year thing, I think he's got to be the favorite. He is going to be the beneficiary of a lot of people making plays for him, Danny. I mean, now he's got to finish, but there are going to be a lot of people that are, you know, coming off a pick and roll, you know, dropping him the ball, or they're out in transition, kicking it ahead, and he's going to be finishing. Um, some of those other guys, the John Morants, the R.J. Barrett's, even, you know, um, some of those other guys, they're going to have to make plays for themselves or make plays for other people. I think that's a little harder. He's in a perfect situation there in New Orleans with the players around him and the style that they're going to play. Um, I would just say this again, and it's not really a knock on Zion, but right now Zion is a finisher. Um, you're going to get him the ball. You're going to hope that there's a relative straight line to the basket and he's going to finish. Now he passes the ball very well. Um, but as, as, as he starts to have defenses kind of scout him and know his tendencies, like he's not going to have people closing out to him, giving him these straight lines. It's going to become more and more difficult for him to finish. Uh, but it's a great spot for him and the tempo is going to take care of a lot of that. So I, I imagine he's going to average upwards of 18 points a, uh, a game this year, just getting up and down the court. And let's be honest, too. Hype is going to play a lot of part. He's going to get a lot of eyeballs, a lot of airtime. And that, unfortunately, it does come into play when you're talking about voting and what goes into becoming a rookie of the year. That's definitely going to be in his favor, for sure. Uh, a couple weeks ago, his height came out. People were like, oh, my gosh, he's only 6'6". Now you've got Draymond Green, who was asked about his height, and he wanted to set the record straight. So listen to Draymond Green talking about his height. So all y'all talking about I'm 6'5". Here come the real measurement. Right now, you got my man Raj right here, about to, Raj right here about to take the measurement. So far, y'all, here we go. Here we go. No shoes on. We right here with it. Seventy-eight inches, six-six. <laughs> The caption there said, best 6'5 center ever. Um, Barkley was probably 6'5. I mean, I think he might have been listed at 6'6. Six, six. I've actually seen Draymond in person. Wasn't that super impressed with his height. Probably is closer to 6'5 than 6'6 six, six there. Um, does it matter? Because like, I, I think so. we put so much into height. Watch the film. Like, watch a dude play. Can he play or can't he? Uh, we get so much caught up in the measurements that I think it's sometimes we overlook so much talent because we get caught up in that. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's can you hoop? Um, now, you know, I always like you know people try to tell me I was six four. I fight for my inch. Like, no, nah, I'm six five. Like, I I you know I take my shoes off and measure myself in front of people too. I don't know why that that inch matters so much. Um, but ultimately, when you're playing, nobody cared that I was six five or six four. Could I go out there and could I defend that guy? Could I knock down a jump shot? That's all that really mattered. So you're six five, barefoot. I'm definitely like six, four and a half then because I feel like I'm looking you right in the eye when I'm You're there. You're so not. I, <laughs> I might be. I was so ticked off because, and look, and this is part of the discussion that came out with Zion Williamson. I always lied about my height. Like I was six, five <laughs> high school. Uh, my buddy Aaron Walhoff, you know him. He's still the head coach of my high school. He was listed, I think, at six, six. Like we lied as much as me. And he was shorter than me. And then when I went to Florida State, like they're okay with it. They don't want to have, like, so they were okay with six, four. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm six, four. And then when I got to the combine, I was devastated because they literally 
crunch you down. Like they put so much pressure on your head and they don't let you wear any socks. They don't even let you tape your ankles because Charlie Ward tried to do that. He tried to tape his ankles and then he had all those like pre-wrapped little spongy things. And he had like 10 of them on there under his, they don't even let you tape your ankles. I came out at 6.03 and a half. Like I was pissed that I was that short. I was like, this isn't right. And it was, I was like, let me get in the morning when I think I'd be 6'4". Um, so I hated it from that standpoint. But now that you say you're 6'5", I'll definitely go in there. Do you think they should measure without shoes or with shoes? They should I, definitely do it, shouldn't they? I, I, I think they should do it with shoes. I mean, you play you play with your shoes. Um, so, you know, that that's the height that's going to matter, right? Like if you're running around playing barefoot, then 6'4". Uh, would be your playing height. But if you're out there in shoes, uh, then 6'5", if you needed the extra inch, would be your playing height. I, I think they should measure in shoes. But ultimately, I really don't have a problem with it because, look, if if you can do it at 6'4", you could probably do it at 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Do you know what I mean? So to me, it's it doesn't really matter either way. Yeah, what I was pissed at is like my football cards now, they all say 6'3". And I'm like, you didn't even give me the half. Like maybe you could have rounded up instead of 6'3". You could have put 6'4 on there. And that just ticked me off. Um, all right. Uh, what about, what about, uh, vertical? Like, does vert matter to you? Does wingspan? Cause I do think vert measures explosiveness, power, but again, it kind of comes back to, can you play or can't you? But those are some things that I do think some scouts would look at. I mean, they test for all of that. Like when you're at, when you're at combines and stuff, they want to know your wingspan. That's a really critical thing. Like that, that is, mu- that is much or, or, or more than height, not as more, but as much as height, right? If you, you'd be six, two with a, with a six eight wingspan, like you, you could be a really good defender. You're going to get a lot of deflections. You're in passing lanes, um, and vertical is really important, uh, especially in a you know a game where it, it it behooves you to be able to be above the rim, right? Like you become you know could be more dynamic when you're above the rim and stuff like that. But they they measure all of that. Um, and if you really wanted to know what a guy's wingspan or his vert was, you'd probably find it. Um, ultimately, though, I don't know that it needs to be on your playing card or anything like that. Welcome back to Canal and Bell. So we had breaking news out of Major League Baseball. Gabe Kapler, manager for the Phillies, has been fired. He's under 502 seasons, zero playoff appearances. He's been a little bit quirky um, in personality and also in strategy, which early in his tenure, his first year he came over and he was trying some very unique things with pitchers. It wasn't received real well. He's just kind of a different type of cat. But I think what's hurt him the most is the fact that you paid Bryce Harper $300 million, took him from the Nationals, and then, oh, by the way, the Nationals are the team that's in the playoffs. The Nationals are the team that have shocked the world and beat the Dodgers last night in Game 5. That cannot be helping things for Gabe Kapler. I think the timing of this is kind of peculiar because of what just happened last night. Yeah, that's interesting. Um you know, I they talked about the injuries that the the Phillies have sustained this year. Um, you talk about the signing of of Bryce Harper, and they traded for who is that Real Muto, and and like all of that. But none of that really has to do with your manager, does it? Like that's that's yeah. at an executive level. So, you know, this is one of those things where, you know, I do kind of agree with you. The timing looks bad, and I always talk about like who's going to be blamed for it. Um, if, if an executive can pass the buck and blame a coach and he didn't make it easy because of his quirkiness, um, you know, if you're going to be quirky, be successful. That's what I'll say. If you ain't successful with it, uh, you, you're susceptible to this kind of thing. Overall though, um, you know, we live in a day and an age where like it's, it's so hard to be a coach, Danny, like you get very, very little time to go in somewhere and really 
you know, succeed. And, you know, I would, I would make the case that it takes at least two, probably three years to really affect a culture change, you know, like to really get something rolling if you've been handed a mess to get it sorted out and get it pointed in the right direction. So I'm not saying he didn't deserve to be fired, but man, it's got to be really stressful to be a manager in the big leagues, to be a head coach, either basketball, football, hockey, any of your major sports, super stressful to be a coach. Oh, that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons I didn't go into that business because I thought about being a coach in football. And then you look at, first of all, look at any coach's resume in college football. Look to how many stops they have to go. I mean, you're talking about starting as a GA, some program in Podunk, wherever, and then you bump up a little bit the next spot and it is stressful as it gets. And sometimes you, I would, I'm totally, I agree with you. Look, you're looking at two years. You were expected to do that. And you were just below 500 in a sport, which, you know, that's not that bad when you look at some of the parity that's around baseball. I do think it hurt him. The fact, according to the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer, 22 Phillies players landed on the injured list during the 2019 season. That came out to 1,600 games lost for those players uh, and for the Phillies when you're supposed to be a guy who's supposed to manage playing time, giving guys that got rest, you know, managing these pitching staffs. And if it's not effective and you're losing that many guys, you're going to be judged there, but probably somewhat unfairly. I do think ultimately some of this is driven by personalities too. You, you are going to be out there. You're going to be, you know, abrasive with a coach or something like that. You know, and I don't think that helped Gabe Kapler uh, in this position. And it's going to be really interesting. There's a lot of good managerial jobs open when you think of the Cubs, the Mets, now the Phillies, uh, the Padres with Manny Machado, the Angels. Um, with Mike Trout, there's some really attractive managerial jobs open. So the carousel that takes place there is going to be pretty interesting uh, as we wrap it up. We're going to have much more on this. David Sampson going to be on CBS Sports HQ. They'll break down this Gabe Kapler firing by the Phillies. What does it mean for them moving forward? Who could potential replacements be? All that and more on CBS Sports HQ. So make sure you keep it locked. Thanks for checking us out. Ellen Bell, appreciate listening. Don't forget, go subscribe, download, unsubscribe, subscribe again. Do that. CBS Sports HQ, coming up next. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.